back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Monday evening, October the 25th, 2021. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, joined by senior team reporter Charlie Potter, fresh off Alabama football's 52-24 win over the Tennessee Volunteers last Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium, but we got a whole lot to talk about on this edition of the Bama Online Podcast. We're going to get into some hoops as well. You had Nate Oates' men's basketball team on Sunday afternoon taking on the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana in a charity exhibition. Crimson Tide comes out on top in that one. We'll go more nuts and bolts with Alabama men's hoops a little bit later on in the podcast as well, but first we bring on the aforementioned Charlie Potter. Charlie, now, at this point, are we allowed to talk about the NLCS <laughs> champion Atlanta Braves, or is that still off topic? I mean, is that still off limits for us? We still can't we can't talk about the Braves and that, that upcoming World Series against the cheating-ass Houston Astros? <laughs> I, I guess we could talk about them. It, it has, I will say, served us well to ignore them, though. Um, you know, I, I don't think... You could go back even a couple months ago. Well, maybe a couple months, but not too long ago. And I don't think anybody really envisioned this being a possibility, just given everything the Braves have have been dealt with from an injury, a personnel standpoint. But, I mean, give those guys credit. They've been playing really well. I think it's, what, since the beginning of August, they've won 44 games. That's a a good number to be sitting on, especially considering uh, this is the year that we lost Hank Aaron. So maybe it's one of those teams of destiny. And, yeah, I mean – at this point, um, it's hard not to talk about the Braves because I feel like now with this matchup, they're probably America's team. I think everybody's probably rooting for Atlanta to win over Houston. I think you're right. And I don't think it hurt, did it, that the Braves were probably in the right division in the National League or just in Major League Baseball in general not to sell at that point of the season with all the injuries and uh, as poorly or as mediocre at best as they were playing. They were in the right division because you kind of knew the Mets were going to met right at some point and otherwise in that division they, they still had a shot at, at a point where a lot of teams either buy or sell yeah they did and you know i know that was kind of a debate is what they were going to do and maybe some questioned the aggressive approach but you can't really question it now i mean it's paid off and uh yeah i'm, I'm looking for acquisitions to, man yeah. wow and it's you know it's um I, I get it, you know, being a, a Braves fan and, and hearing it, um, you know, that there's a lot of, you know, Braves are going to brave or they're going to barve, but they haven't done that so far. And it's mm-hmm. been a lot of fun to watch. You make it the World Series, that goes by the boards. If you just make it to the World Series. Now, look, there's been many, many disappointments in our lifetimes, uh, certainly in mine, where the Braves are concerned. So we'll see how they respond to what used to be just another series in the old NL West with the Astros and the Braves. I'm still trying to get my head around my old ass. I can't get my head around the Astros being in the American League still. You know, that's what we're talking about in terms of a an age gap there. Hey, um, NFL action from over the weekend. What about Mac Jones? Huge performance against the New York Jets. I know, right? It's the Jets. Okay. But you got some Alabama representation on the defensive side of the ball for the Jets and I guess as we move into Monday night football tonight, what, Saints, Seahawks? So not a ton to follow in that game, right, if any? 
Yeah, there's there's no Alabama players in tonight's game, but it is the return of the Manning cast. I know that's a, oh, a fan favorite. Yes. So um, even though, are you big on the Manning? Where do you sit on the Manning cast? Um, ever since Eli made fun of Peyton's pit stains and then shot the double <laughs> birds, I've, I've been on board. Uh, of course, you know, I watched it when Nick Saban was on there for um, you know, mm-hmm. reasons, but uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as soon as Eli was in his head trying to think if he could shoot the double bird and get away with it and then did it, I'm, I was sold. And I think tonight they're supposed to have Marshawn Lynch and Tom Brady. and, and It starts studded, man. Yeah, yeah, they have some good guests. And, and the thing is, like, it, it's fun just to watch how kind of just laid back Eli is and how intensely Peyton's watching the game. It, it's entertaining. But I think that's, you know, I, I'll still – we'll have a game thread up even though there's not an Alabama player on either roster. But I think even though, you know, given their respective alma maters, I think Alabama fans have enjoyed the Manning cast for the most part. Now I will say if you were a, a, a fan of either team, I don't know if the Manning cast would be the way to go just because you're not going to get a lot of in-game updates and analysis. Well, analysis maybe is not the right word, but you're not going to get as many updates of what's Team going specific, on. Yeah. That could be a little annoying, but you know, for the people that like, I don't have a favorite NFL team. I, I watch any game that's on. Um, it, it's been entertaining to say the least. And we talked about this before. You do not count Alvin Kamara from the Alabama <laughs> perspective. You count Jalen hurts. I do. Um, but Alvin really never was a factor at Alabama. That's, that's kind of my belief behind it. Um, you know, there's several guys I could throw into the the weekly updates uh, for tight in the NFL. Um, you know, you could throw in uh, Derek Gore. Uh, there's been others. Um, you know, there's a couple of DBs. I know Marie Smith had a little stint in the NFL. I don't think he's in there now. Um, Aaron Robinson, I think, is now on the the Giants active roster, or mm-hmm. at, so to some degree. But I, I don't. Um, for me, um, like you kind of alluded to, I think you had to. Have, played a pivotal role or at least played a, a, a lot <laughs> to an extent. Um, yeah, I, I almost went with the Alabama graduate route, but there's been some guys that have got their degrees and, and moved on and, and done things elsewhere to, to show up in the league. So really the only guy that didn't end his career that I include is Jalen. Um, and I, I think, you know, if, if I didn't include Jalen Hurts, uh, a lot of fans would be pretty upset. And, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have any questions about it. I, I fully expected to follow him, especially since he plays the quarterback position. But yeah, I, I pretty much stick to the guys that, that closed out their career and, and Jalen, because, you know, he's a starting quarterback for two full seasons. Absolutely. Fair enough. Definitely fair enough. And yeah, I love Eli and Peyton love that big brother, little brother dynamic. You're right. <laughs> Peyton, Tries to stay on topic and on point, and it seems like more often than not, Eli's just taking shots at Peyton's head size and things like that, which makes for a, a fun bit of interaction, no doubt about it. You mentioned Nick Saban. He was in Birmingham earlier on Monday at the Monday Morning Quarterback Club in the Ham. I know you made the trip over to the Magic City. Uh, what did you take away from his comments following Alabama's win over Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, you know, these are usually not heavy hitting. Um, today was actually, you know, he, he kind of covered a lot of topics. Uh, you know, he talked about that uh, moment on the sideline that ESPN's cameras captured uh, with him and Bryce Young. They were basically forehead to forehead, um, you know, talking, and it was whenever the it was during a timeout, so the the crimson lights were 
it going crazy and, and really just the whole field was covered in crimson but they got a close-up shot of them having just a pretty intimate conversation and you know he talked about uh bryce and and everything like that but he talked about how um sometimes you just need to talk things out and uh you know bryce is always receptive when it comes to corrections he never gets defensive about that and you know that's what they like you know, guys that are coachable and, and bryce has been that and um you know, he, he <laughs> speaking of moments caught on camera, uh, he was asked about the, the delay of game penalties or the one delay of game penalty and the almost delay of game penalty where he had to come out of TV out. timeouts, yeah. right? Both of and, those. Yeah. You know, of course, he talked about how with the, with the players, they have to be aware of the, the game clock. And, um, you know, Bryce has been one to, to let it trickle down. And um, but he also you know, placed some of the blame on on the coaches, you know, talking about in that timeout, maybe, you know, they're still talking on the sideline and they need to be running out on the field. And, and maybe the coaches think they're in a TV timeout. So the red hat guys on the field with the uh, LED signs. So um, something they'll probably clean up in the uh, in the bye week is not something that's, you know, it, that shouldn't be a lingering issue. That's something that could probably be fixable. I'm sure there's a guy that's going to be well aware of whenever they're in a TV timeout or when they're not uh, moving forward. Uh, but yeah, for, for the most part, those were the, the two big things. You know, he talked about pass protection, how that has to get better. Um, you know, he talked about uh, just talking about dealing with players and, he, uh, he kind of had a, a old man get off my lawn kind of moment with people always on their phone and talking about people walking around on campus and, and walking into the trees, which is kind of funny. But, <laughs> um, you know, for the most part, lighthearted. Um, you know, he talked about his birthday weekend coming up and everything like that. But it's it's an event where, you know, he does this every year, the Monday of the bye week. It's, um, you know, the Monday morning quarterback club benefits the children's in, in Birmingham, which, you know, is near and dear to my heart with my wife working there. So, Usually just a pretty easy Monday, and that proved to be the case again today. The Big 7-0 coming up for Nicholas Lou Saban Jr. on Halloween Sunday. How about that? 70 years old, Nick Saban. Doesn't seem to be lacking where the fastball is concerned, as we just outlined for you in a couple of scenarios <laughs> on the sideline from last Saturday night. Uh, we talk about it. Alabama heads into the bye week, obviously. Uh, and still pretty good shape in terms of everything being in front of this team. But with that being said, and coming off this latest performance in which they really put their foot on the gas there in the fourth quarter and scoring 28 points and 21 of those unanswered, does this have the feel to you at least, Charlie, of one of those teams when we talk about national championship caliber teams? Uh, can you still see if not? thinking this team is there yet it can get to that point and i guess also how much do you take into account the rest of college football this season because when you look around it doesn't seem like there's those four or five teams that could really challenge alabama if it were to get to a college football playoff position uh you got cincinnati sitting there at number two in the national polls i don't know if anybody would pick cincinnati to beat alabama on a neutral field right now but Good for the Bearcats. There they are, coming off a seven-point win over Navy on the road, sitting there just behind the Georgia Bulldogs, actually a good bit behind the Georgia Bulldogs like everybody else. But how do you view this team right now in terms of potential for the big picture? 
Yeah, first of all, it's a weird year, um, like you said. And I think, you know, when the, the college football playoff rankings come out here uh, pretty soon, I think it's next week, um, I, I would be interested to see what they or what their view is of Cincinnati and how legit they think they are um, because they didn't have a great game this past week. Um, so I, I, I think with Alabama, we've seen them uh, look like one of the best teams in the country. You know, at times they've played like a team that certainly looks capable of winning a national championship and the defense, um, you know, this past week, I think that's really where a lot of the, you know, the questions lie. Uh, you know, they played really well on third down. They were two of 13. They had, I think six, three and outs. Um, you know, they, they gave up some explosive plays and that's something that, I think there's going to be a point of emphasis you know, this week is is eliminating that and you know working on uh, the defensive backfield and coverage. But um, yeah, I, I think we've seen like that fourth quarter stretch was really strong, especially from an offensive standpoint. You know how they looked uh, against Ole Miss and uh, at times against Mississippi State. Um, I, I think that we've seen a near complete performance, if not a complete performance in Starkville. And then uh, at times Saturday, even, um, you know, defensively and offensively, you know, they look like a team that can certainly compete for a national championship. But then, you know, you go to, um, you look at some of the plays they gave up against Tennessee. You look at the way they played against Florida and against uh, Texas A&M. And there's, there's still uncertainty. And I, I think a lot of that, again, it lies on the defensive side of the ball. I think, obviously, from an offensive standpoint, the offensive line needs to be uh, more consistent. And uh, I think the bye week will be interesting to see, you know, what happens there moving forward. If 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 they were going to make a move, uh, say at one of the positions, maybe this is the week that you try some of that because you're going to focus on yourself these three days of practice before the players get the week off, and then come back and you know start to really focus in on LSU. Um, if not now, then probably never. Uh, from a just a personnel standpoint so um, I think they have what it takes to do it they just have to do it on a consistent enough basis and we really haven't seen that except for maybe the Mississippi State game this season yeah Saturday night at Bryant Denny Stadium felt to me anyway a lot like the 2014 Iron Bowl when you had Nick Marshall hitting explosive plays to the Auburn wide receivers to the tune of 450-plus passing yards. I uh, saw some of that from Hendon Hooker, not quite to that extent. But at the end of the night, Alabama just had too much. You walked out of the stadium, though, in both instances, thinking, well, not quite sure what the ceiling is for this team when you talk about national championship runs and the like. In 2014, though, you still had Urban Meyer and Ohio State that ultimately proved to be the national champions in that first season of the college football playoff. You still had an Oregon program that was rolling pretty good. Jimbo was still at Florida State coming off a national championship season, still had Jameis Winston. So they were certainly uh, of that quality. But yeah, this year, when you look at it, look at Clemson right now with three losses. This isn't the same kind of year around the rest of college football as 2014 was. So I think if Alabama can just get there, whether it's as a one loss team, maybe even a two loss team, um, you know, it could very well be in that mix to, to win a seventh national championship under Nick Saban. But let's get into some to do list stuff for the bye week. I think you touched on some of them, Charlie. 
uh, obviously coming off the performance against Tennessee, a couple of the areas that you would expect to highlight. You just did some of that, but you also mentioned the possibility that a bye week could be the window in which you could work some different guys at some different spots. And I think for most Alabama fans, I know for you, and it is for me too, right tackle, right, on the offensive line is where you get hit with the most questions. Uh, And we talked about this in previous weeks. Um, You know, is is this potentially the week where you see some movement there? And if it is to happen, who are the most likely candidates? Yeah, um, you know, I was – talking at the the event up in Birmingham about this and I, I just think you know with with Chris Owens he's a guy he's been in the program longer than anyone this is his sixth season and um <coughs> excuse me uh he knows what to do and that's why he's in this position he just hasn't played that well whenever you know given the opportunity um I think it probably says a lot about the other players or maybe maybe not maybe about the other players but more about Chris Owens' ability to to know what to do and know what to do all the time, that the others maybe aren't in the same boat, that maybe they um, are in a situation where they might be a little more talented, more better, or they might be better suited to play the right tackle position, but they don't know what to do all the time. But then you got to start to weigh the options of, well, do you want to have a guy that's capable of holding his own out there uh, and maybe will mess up a time or two, or do you want a guy that's going to be you know, uh, someone that has turned into – almost like a martyr for the fan base. Uh, you know, he's not quite overtaking Pete Golding in that regard, but you know, he's getting pretty close. So I, I just, for this, you know, we've seen JC Latham, uh, you know, be the backup right guard. You know, he's a guy who came in the game for Emil Ekior when he left the game uh, with an apparent injury, but Emil was out on the field afterward and looked to be in good spirits. So is it Damian George next up? Who knows? I, I, I don't. Um, I don't know if even we'll see any kind of changes because, like I said, I think Chris knows what to do. He's played a lot of football here. Um, you know, He's a guy that's a, as a team leader, and um, obviously he's been able to hold his own up until this point. But um, you know, if it continues and you're going to go up against some teams that have some uh, or can continue to get pressure on Bryce Young, and he's running around. You you don't want that. That's not ideal. Nick Saban said after the game Saturday, they don't want him to be running. You know, it's nice for him to have that ability, but they'd rather him have time in the pocket and be able to make his reads and execute the plays they have drawn up. So, uh, yeah, right tackle for me is is at the top of the list. I don't really know, um, you know, beyond that. I think with safety, um, you know, we saw Daniel Wright start the game. But then DeMarco Hellams replaced him after he gave up a couple of uh, completions. So uh, DeMarco is still dealing with a, the ankle injury he was dealing with early in the season. And uh, he's able to play, but they just feel like if there's somebody that, again, he's been in the program for a while, like D. Wright, that knows the defense, knows what to do, if they don't have 100% healthy Hellams, then they're going to try him out there first. Obviously, if you make enough mistakes, they'll pull that. They've kind of done the, the musical chairs at the safety position in the last couple of years. But um, I don't know if we'll see a ton of turnover, but this is the week that if it's going to happen, we'll, we'll start to hear about it on the practice field tomorrow. And we've said it before about Chris Owens. This is a guy who's not playing anything close to his most natural position. Yes, he's played it in the past. He's played everywhere up front in the past. In a perfect world, if one of your young tackles would have proven to be Jonah Williams or Cam Robinson-like as true freshman, 
there's a good chance Chris Owens started this season at center instead mm-hmm. of right tackle. So this isn't a pile on Chris because he's he's one of their best five. It's just that probably, unfortunately for him, he's one of their best five, which means he has to play somewhere that isn't his best position. Um, and look, this isn't a Clemson situation with three losses. If Alabama had three losses, I, I would be surprised if we didn't see Damian George at right tackle at this point, because at that point, why not? Why not get guys some, you know, you're obviously still trying to win as many games as you possibly can, but in, in that scenario, you're probably leaning more towards developmental uh, prospects, maybe in some positions, or at least getting them legitimate reps during the course of a game, uh, if you possibly can. So a couple different ways to look at that with everything still on the table for this team, your best is your best, and you just got to go with it. And if you don't, then I would think it would be more along the lines of someone else you trust, at least similarly. And maybe that's even a Kendall Randolph in that scenario. Who knows? Uh, but uh, I'm with you. I, I, I haven't seen anything yet that leads me to believe, oh, yeah, this is the week that they definitely make a change. Maybe it is. Um, but with so much still on the table and everything available to this team, I don't see a, a, just a, a, you know, maybe an outright change there. And as you said, also in the secondary, um, a lot of that's been based on DeMarco Hellum's health or lack thereof. And I thought he was really solid once he came into the game Saturday night, kind of cleaned up some of those things. And you still had an explosive play uh, that came more on the outside with Josh Job and uh, the 70-yard touchdown there uh, later in the second half. But um they definitely have a to-do list. I, I think it starts with the items you outlined. Uh, but let me ask you this. Offensively, maybe these last couple of games, uh, sort of a development that you think is very encouraging for the offensive side of the ball and could help heighten that ceiling for Alabama where its championship hopes are concerned. Yeah, I think we've we've talked about it, or at least kind of you know alluded to the fact that he maybe wasn't a hundred percent to start the season. Uh, it's really just the emergence of John Mechie and him looking mm-hmm. like the player we expected him to be uh, before the season. Because with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle moving on to the NFL, Alabama needed a number a new number one receiver, and everyone expected Mechie to be that. And um, you know, for the most part, um, you know, through the first or really up to the midway point of the season, it was more Jamison Williams being that guy. He was someone that it was the vertical threat. And we all knew that that was kind of the reason they brought him in is his speed and ability to stretch the field. But uh, he kind of turned into a possession receiver through the first six games. And I think that's big for, for Williams. It's been big for Bryce Young in this offense, but um, you know, John Mechie now has looked like what we expected him. Uh, to look like going into the season. And uh, he's, he said that he feels good. Um, I think that's really big for this offense to give Bryce Young another uh, weapon. You look at it, uh, he's had, I believe, back-to-back 100-yard games now. Uh, and um, Alabama now has two receivers with 600-plus receiving yards. There are four of those in the SEC, and two of them play for Alabama, and they're Jamison Williams and John Mechie. So I think that's really big uh, for this offense. Um, yeah, I think you could almost say the same thing for Brian Robinson, even though it's come in uh, you know, less advantageous circumstances because of the 
injury to Jace McClellan. You know, Brian's played really, really well of late. You know, he's running hard. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that it's it's I'm not comparing him to Derrick Henry by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, he gets better as he goes, it feels like. And that's been big for this offense too, to create some balance. And um, I think that's big to take some pressure off of Bryce Young's shoulders. So I think just with the older guys that we expected to be big parts of the offense, for them to really kind of be you know, flourishing into that at this point in the season and, and getting stronger and, uh, and healthier, really, I think that's really been big. Yeah, to see John Mechie, as you outlined, go for 100-yard games in each of the last two weeks and for the first time this season, both Mechie and Williams – go over the 100-yard mark, That's that bodes well for the big-picture future of this offense, especially an offense that had already been really good on third down. When you get both those guys going, you get what you get from last Saturday night, 15 of 20 on third down <laughs> for Alabama. And I think you could throw Bryce Young's legs into this as well and how yeah. effective he was in converting not only – first downs uh, with his legs, but also touchdowns with his legs. And again, sort of tempering some of that, Charlie, with the understanding that this isn't going to be a heavy run offense with Bryce Young at the quarterback position in there. This isn't going to be Jalen Hurts in 2016 and 2017. But when it comes down to winning time, it comes down to championship time. That's where he could prove even more effective uh, as we get down the stretch of this season. So those are a couple of areas. What about defensively too, while we're at it, maybe an area of that defense that in recent weeks, at least you've seen some things in maybe a particular area of that defense that has you a little bit more optimistic about where it could ultimately land among previous Alabama defenses. Yeah. I mean, kind of piggybacking off what you just said, I know we mentioned it earlier, but that third down defense against Tennessee was, was really strong. Uh, two of 13, six, three and ounce, uh, their ability, the front for the most part has done a solid job at stopping the run. You know, Tennessee is a team that came in and liked to run the ball. Uh, same thing for Ole Miss, you know, Mississippi state, not so much, but, um, you know, Tennessee, Ole Miss, those are to the the top offenses in the league when you looked at statistically at least heading into their matchups with Alabama and Alabama's defense limited the balls to, to 64 yards on the ground so uh, I think that run defense mixed with just the complete domination of a guy like Will Anderson who's up to eight and a half sacks and 16 and a half tackles for loss which both of those categories he's now the national leader um, I think that that bodes well you want to be able to stop the run you want to be able to and get off the field on third down. You want to be able to you know, pressure the quarterback, and um, you know that pressure has led to some interceptions. Alabama has eleven of those uh, through eight games. That's tied for the SEC lead. So um, I think that needs to be you know more consistent. I still think they need some other guys to to step up in that department. You know we've seen uh, Fidarian Mathis and uh, Byron Young uh, on the defensive line really be able to to do that, but they need others. You know we've seen more of LeBron Ray. Uh, the last couple games, and I think he's starting to get you know healthy and more comfortable. And if he can provide that uh, opposite Will Anderson, that pass rush, and just um, you know getting in the backfield, that would be big. Uh, but they need to do that on a consistent basis. And um, I think Nick Saban wants to see them force some more fumbles as well. But I think just the the play of the front from a, a run stopping aspect, and I guess really more so Will Anderson's ability to get pressure on the quarterback. I think that's been pretty positive. Yeah, leads all of FBS, right? Tackles for loss, and not just by like 
a half tackler loss. It's like three. Um, three and a half. Old, yeah, he holds that edge in FBS right now and TFLs. And, you know, the potential for Drew Sanders coming back mm-hmm. uh, from his injury uh, it could loom large here as you get ready for the month. Uh, you get ready for the month of November. I'm with you on the run defense. Uh, I thought that was a real highlight for Alabama in the win over Tennessee. The front seven was, I thought, exceptional. Good to see LeBron Ray becoming more of a factor as we get ready for the stretch run here and looking at this defense. And I say that because when you look at a lot of the remaining offenses, LSU with Ty Davis-Price is going to try to run the football. Arkansas, with its running backs and its run game in general, certainly going to try to run the football. Tank Bigsby, uh, Auburn uh, in the Iron Bowl, going to try to run the football. And then, of course, potentially with Georgia in the way it likes to play offense. So don't discount, don't get caught up in the issues on the back end so much that you can't appreciate maybe the strides that this front seven is making in the area of shutting down the run game. Charlie, before we get out of here, Let's talk some Alabama men's hoops. The squad under Nate Oates in a charity exhibition game Saturday afternoon at Coleman Coliseum. I know you were there, so you're our firsthand account of that (laughs) charity exhibition game. Uh, Turned out to be a tight one, and I guess more of the news about who didn't appear, who didn't dress for Alabama as much as who did, although some new guys showed pretty well, I guess. Yeah, Alabama was was really shorthanded. Uh, they were down to eight scholarship players. You know, we knew that. You know, of course, Namari Burnett and James Rojas weren't going to be able to play. Both those guys are out with knee injuries. Um, Alex Chiku is someone. Uh, when we went to the open practice uh, a couple weeks ago, didn't really do a lot, and uh, kind of in the same boat. You know, he's still kind of recovering from that Achilles injury. Uh, Nados did say that he will be available for game one, so that's that's promising. But you know, two of the biggest ones, as soon as the players came out for, for warm-ups, uh, Javon Quinterly and, and Jawan Gary were in street clothes. And initially, you kind of think, well, maybe they aggravated something in practice, maybe tweaked something. And for with this being an exhibition game, you don't want to push it. But come to find out, Nados revealed that those guys were uh, suspended for the exhibition game uh, for a violation of team rules. But both players will be available for the season opener. I imagine Javon Quinterly will, will probably be in the starting lineup. And this would have been a lot different if, uh, or this this game would have went a lot differently had Quinterly probably been on the floor. Same goes for Gary. Uh, but you know they were again shorthanded, uh, eight players. Uh, they had a couple of guys. They had three players that that played 37 minutes or more. So that kind of tells you where they were at but wasn't a great showing offensively uh, Alabama was 33 percent from the floor uh, 20 percent from three that's not really uh, what they're they're used to shooting but they were good from the the free throw line made 82 percent of those and um, yeah, they got they got hot in the second half um, you know Keon Ellis played really well um, you know Nate Oates and his teammates have, have really sung his praises this preseason and Nato thinks he's one of the best two-way players in the country, if not the best, and he looked like it uh, in this exhibition game. And uh, I thought, you know, J.D. Davison uh, played well, especially in the second half. Um, he finished with 19 points, which is second only to Keon with, with 21, and um, had a really big stretch there at the end where he muscled his way in uh, to the rim and got a layup, and then hit uh, four straight free throws to really seal the game. And um, yeah, that, that was a big play by him. Um, 
you know, Noah Gurley had a stretch um, where he, I think he scored 11 of Alabama's 21 points, but he fouled out of the game. But you know, his first showing looked pretty good. And uh, Charles Bediaco, he really looked like he got more comfortable as the exhibition went along. He only finished with five points, but uh, you know, he tied Jaden Shackelford for the team lead with uh, seven rebounds, and he also had three blocks. So uh, from a newcomer standpoint, you had Bediaco, Davison, and Gurley in the starting lineup alongside Keon Ellis and Jaden Shackelford, and those guys really saw the, the lion's share of the minutes. Um, Darius Miles, you know, I think gave them a little bit of a spark off the bench with seven points. He had a couple big dunks, but not a great night overall uh, shooting the ball. Keon Ellis was the only guy that hit multiple threes. He was five of 10. The rest of the team uh, was one for 20. But defensively, they played really well. And I think, you know, you have to go back and, and look at some of these, whether they be exhibitions or these, you know, I'm using air quotes here, closed scrimmages uh, that uh, basketball teams have. Alabama's lost some of these. And uh, they've gone on to, to play pretty well in the season. Uh, in the regular season. So I think that this is a situation where this team um, didn't play its best, but was still able to uh, defeat a division one opponent. And um, it did so with only eight players. So I think that's, uh, that's, it's, it's something that NATO's can hang his hat on. He said it was the perfect uh, exhibition for the preseason to, to get up uh, for uh, a regular season schedule that is very brutal so, uh, yeah, I, I know nobody really got to see it unless they were in Coleman. That was kind of a strange setup. But um, from a shooting standpoint, I don't know how many people wanted to see it. <laughs> but <laughs> overall, uh, the, the end result, I think, is something they can definitely build off of. Yeah, Jane Shackelford, I think, was glad that there was limited yeah. viewership of that one. As Nate said after the charity exhibition, don't think Jaden's going to shoot it that poorly. Uh, once they get going for real, one of 14 from the field, 22 turnovers. I'm sure Nate wasn't exception, especially pleased with that, but with a limited roster. Um, and like you said, you were playing guards, 37 plus minutes, JD Davison, 37 plus minutes, Jaden Shackleford, 38 plus minutes, Keon Ellis, 37 plus minutes himself. That's a lot of minutes in a exhibition game and go ahead and say it with me now, Charlie. Keon Ellis, SEC Player of the Year. Let's let's you know go ahead and get ready for that. That's going to happen uh, in the 2021-2022 men's basketball season. So Alabama continues to work forward to its season opener, November the 9th, right? Louisiana Tech. Yeah, it's a, it's a ways away. You know, in between games, you go from uh, tied tip off on Friday. To, to this exhibition game, then you got to wait till November 9th for Louisiana Tech to come to town. But um, yeah, I think with this, like I said, they have plenty that they can you know, look at the film and work on. And they have you know a couple weeks, or two and a half weeks before that gets here for them to, to try to improve things. Yeah. What I like about J.D. Davis and two, you can talk about the seven turnovers. Again, that's 37 minutes of action, though. You sort of touched on it, especially late in the game, he goes seven of seven from the free throw line. I like that from a freshman. Cause, uh, kind of think he's going to be in there in some big spots once the, the games are real coming up here in the very near future. Well, Charlie, as always appreciate you taking the time with us here on the Bama online podcast. We have, uh, some potential kickoff times, I guess too, for Alabama LSU. <laughs> 
What about Ed Orgeron, man? I mean, he has sunk that thing so quickly at LSU coming off that national championship in 2019. We don't even know. We don't even know what time Alabama and LSU were playing here uh, inside two weeks until kickoff. That's where we're at with LSU football. That's a fireable offense in and of itself, I would think. It is. It's absurd. The fact that the 11 a.m. game is even open for Alabama LSU is 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 ridiculous. I don't think I don't foresee that being uh, the possibility. I think that what Georgia Missouri game that one looks like it's going to be the 11 o'clock game. Uh, so we'll we'll see. Um, would you wager on Alabama LSU is six central right now? Because I probably would. That's where I've been leaning. Um, you know, you look at it, it. I guess it. I, it all depends on how obviously this weekend's games go. Um, right. That's that's really why they do this. And you know, if Auburn beats Ole Miss, um, A and M, uh, Auburn becomes a, an attractive game, and that could maybe you know slide that into the two thirty game on CBS because, like you said, I mean LSU is a sinking ship right now. Shouldn't so. even be having this discussion. <laughs> I know, what but in the world, if if it is uh, the six o'clock game, which I agree with you, I, I kind of feel that's the way it's going to end up. And that's three straight six o'clock kicks, four straight night games for Alabama. They'll they'll certainly be able to get their use out of the light show for a second week in a well, second game in a row, not second week in a row with a bye week in between. Yeah, yeah, big homestand for Alabama, all the way until the Iron Bowl at this point. Yeah. So, uh, gonna be in Tuscaloosa a good bit coming up here over the next month for Charlie Potter, Travis Ryder. Thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already. How about a subscription to the BOL podcast? Anywhere you consume pods, you're going to find us. Bama Online Podcast. If you leave us a rating and a review review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Hey, enjoy the bye week, Charlie. And maybe by the next time we talk, is there the potential for the Atlanta Braves to be World Series champs the next time we talk on this year podcast? I guess the series starts Tuesday night. Not sure exactly the schedule. I guess there's the potential for it anyway. At least 3-0, 3-1, something like that. The Braves will be on the cusp of a world championship. Or am I not allowed to say that, Charlie? Yeah, you, you probably just jinxed it there. <laughs> um, but the, the possibility is real, fingers crossed. But uh, no, I'm here's hoping for a, a good bye week, some good Braves baseball, and, and a happy Halloween. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, we've talked about it in the past. Give me the... Uh, the Charlie Potter Halloween candy go-to. What's it going to be? You know, uh, I was thinking back. It, it's kind of sad because it's one of the last times uh, I spoke to Edward Ashoff. He was in town, um, you know, for ESPN and at a Nick yeah. Saban press conference. And But we, uh, me and a couple of the other uh, beat writers kind of did a, a, a fantasy candy draft. And uh, I had the number one pick, and I went with Reese Cubs. I don't think you okay. can go wrong with the individually wrapped Reese Cubs, but – um, I like Kit Kat, I like Twix, but I'm I'm a I'm a gummy candy guy. Like I'm, I'm not really candy corn. I don't like candy corn. But like you sound like Mike Leach. He hates candy corn and he likes <laughs> yeah. the gummy treats. That's what that's Mike Leach. That's what I, you're I, right I, I there like, with him. I like Starburst. I like um, mm-hmm. I like gummy bears. The chewables. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you know there's there are plenty of candy bars that just aren't great. I mean, like yeah. if yeah, if Milky Way is the worst. If you handed me a full size beer came up with bar, I would be I'd be very upset. Just give me mm-hmm. the the raisins at that point. But mm-hmm. I, I think you can't go wrong with um, with Reese's and, and Kit Kats. Really, any of the M and M's, even though the peanut butter ones have been pretty good lately. 
So uh, that's probably where I stand. Um, and that's the thing too. Like we don't really have very many trick or treaters. We'll have you know maybe three or four. So you go get the candy you want and get to enjoy it afterwards. Well, I mean, if you turn the damn lights on, you know, maybe <laughs> the kids would come up. But you you know you go you go uh, blackout mode, darkout mode, and so the kids are scared to death. They're not going to come up there. Turn some lights on, Charlie. Turn that front porch light on. You know, a little more inviting. Look, if I don't say Peterbrook Chocolatier, you know, is my favorite, then <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at getting served with some papers that I'd rather not get served with, probably. But, you know, if we're talking mainstream, I guess, uh, yeah. candies, I, I, it's still peanut M&Ms for me, man. All these years later, uh, you give me those little individually, those snack size bags, you know, with five or yeah. six of them in there. Oh, oh, can absolutely... Still kill those. We'll get out of here now. I think we've done our damage. We've done enough damage for one podcast. But all seriousness, thanks a lot, Charlie. We'll do it again next week. All right, man. Always good to catch up. For Charlie, Travis, thanks again. Keep it locked at BamaOnline.com. All things Alabama Crimson Tide. Until next time. So long, everybody. <laughs>